0: Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Well, Merry Day After Christmas to you, or uh, maybe you are one that celebrates Boxing Day. Happy Boxing Day to you. If you're not sure what Boxing Day is, I'm not either, but Uh, I just saw that on a calendar. And and for me, in my home, the day after Christmas means that it's time to box up all the stuff and sort of sort out all the things that... um, uh, we 've collected over the years because they 've now opened up new things and we 've got kind of to now try to figure out where to put things and so it is time to bring out the bins and the boxes and reorder some things for for me and my family that 's sort of typically what the day after Christmas is for us, and that 's uh, Typically, what we're going to be doing uh, on this day is just getting organized and and getting things uh, back together again. Also, for us, it's a day where uh, it's just sort of the end of Christmas. We've um, my family. We start decently early. I know some families start earlier uh, than we do, but um, by the time this day comes around, for me at least, I'm I'm over it. I'm I'm done with Christmas. And I'm ready to move on. So for God, though, God always was thinking and organizing way ahead of time. And so for me, I wait until the day after Christmas, and then I get things in order. That's when I box things up. That's when I put things in their proper place. But for God, it happened thousands of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And it started with, um, really it started even long before that, thousands of years before this, but uh, for our instance, it started in a home of of Jesse. Uh, There was a prophet by the name of Samuel um, who heard from God that that God was choosing a a new king. Uh, You see, the people wanted a king named Saul, and that's who the people wanted. Uh, He had the look, you know, he had the, 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 the warrior mentality, and he had the prestige, and he had the wealth and he had everything that made up for a king and that's who the people of Israel wanted but it wasn't necessarily God's king but God allowed them to have them and so the story goes is that God goes to Matthew or excuse me goes to Samuel and says Samuel I want you to go in and I want you to anoint my king as a matter of fact it's it's found in first Samuel 16 it says now the Lord said to Samuel how long are you going to mourn for Saul? So Samuel's kind of feeling bad because Samuel was partly responsible to. Anointing Saul as the first king of Israel, and he's realizing that Saul has really just made a mess of things and made a mess of the kingdom and started worshiping other God and God and leading people to worship other gods. And, and so Samuel's feeling responsibility of that, and he's mourning that. He's mourning uh, that, that decision that he was a part of. He says, "Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel." He says, here's what I want you to do, Samuel. I want you to fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to to Jesse, uh, the Bethlehemite, because I have chosen a king for myself among his sons. And so Samuel goes to Jesse's home in Bethlehem and shows up in Bethlehem and lined up are seven of Jesse's sons. And Samuel's going through and meeting each one for the very first time and trying to figure out and, and, and waiting for God to sort of give him a signal of that this particular son of Jesse is going to be the next king of Israel. And he goes through each one of his sons, all seven of them, and Samuel's not feeling that either, any one of these young men are going to be the next king of Israel. And he turns to Jesse and says, Jesse, do you have any more sons? Uh, I, I've gone through the process of what it means to find a, a king and to anoint a king, and and I'm not sensing that any one of these is the next king. And so he says, Jesse, do you have another? And Jesse said, Well, yeah, I, I do. I have an eighth son, but you can't, you can't be thinking about David. I mean, David, no way can David be, my son David, be the next king of Israel. I mean, he doesn't look the part at all. And he's out tending to my sheep. And if I brought him in, I mean, he would just be a mess. And there's no possible way that he can possibly be the next king of Israel. Samuel says, well, let's give it a shot, and so Jesse sends for David, and David comes into the house, and right away Samuel knew, and he just got a sense from God, and however that took place, he just knew that this little boy, this young shepherd boy, would be the next king of Israel, and even Isaiah couple hundred years later says it this way in Isaiah and he says, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. He says this in verse two, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so this is a prophecy of Isaiah saying, hey, listen, from the stem, from the root of Jesse, one will shoot up and he will lead with wisdom and understanding of counsel and strength of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I mean, everything that a king needs to be, that's who he will be. And David became similar in in that way. David led with wisdom and understanding and counsel and strength and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. David led in that way, even though David wasn't a perfect man by any means. And if you know anything about the story of David, you'll know that certainly that is true. But one would come from the root of Jesse and he will rule in this way and he will be the perfect king for not just a nation, but for all the nations of this world. Because ultimately, that was the promise to Abraham that through your seed, Abraham, that all the nations, not just one nation, but all the nations of this world will be blessed. And later on, David became king and a great king, an honorable king, one of the greatest kings of all of Israel and one day, Samuel came and had a conversation with David and said this. It says in 2 Samuel 7:15, "But my favor shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul." So even though David isn't a perfect guy, he says, "My favor, God's saying to David, "My favor shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from you." And then he says this in verse 16, "Your house." And your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your house, your kingdom will be forever. Your throne shall be established forever. This was a promise. This was a a covenant with King David that no one, no one, will take your throne, and one day somebody will take your throne, who will reign on your throne forever. So you maybe have read Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter number one. And you probably quickly, briefly read through that, but it was sort of the lineage from the time of, you know, Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob through David and all the way down. It was It's it's what I call the 25 begats later. And maybe you've read it in that way. This person begat this person and that person begat that person. 25 begats later. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to David, all the way down, Jesus is born. Jesus is born. Isaiah mentioned it this way. He says, Isaiah says, for he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, he has no stately form or majesty that we would even look at him, nor appearance that we would take pleasure in him. Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't it kind of sound like when Jesse had all of his sons other than David lined up? Who's going to be the next king? Who's going to be the next king? And, and Samuel's going, he's not in this room. And then David shows up, and he didn't have an appearance that looked majestic. And he didn't have an appearance that anyone took pleasure looking at him. But and Jesus had that same look. And Jesus had that same projection of who he was and what he was going to be. And, and, but nobody thought it would be Jesus as the king Jesus lived a perfect life Jesus god incarnate took on flesh and blood became human understands all the pains and the struggles and the battles both phys- physically and both both emotionally spiritually he understood it all he went through it all He experienced it all, all the hardships, the betrayals, the backstabbing, the loss, the hurts, the mistreatment, the anger, all the things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, Jesus felt all of that. But yet, through it all, he didn't sin. He didn't sin. And one day, Jesus was betrayed, you know the story, by one of his own, one of his own betrayed him sold him for sold him for thirty pieces of silver, orchestrated his arrest. And when Jesus was arrested, he was taken before a guard, a governor. He was taken before a governor. His name was Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate was a man who was under he's on the hot seat. He was on the hot seat. He was a guy that was sort of in a position where he had to make some tough decisions. You see, if he were let Jesus go, he would be viewed as somebody who you know, went away from the Roman government and that could be uh, problems for him. But yet he knew that there was this guy that would, was innocent. He didn't do anything worth being executed, didn't worth, wasn't worth being crucified for. And so uh, Pilate brings Jesus into his courtyard and has a conversation with him. And the conversation goes like this in John 18. It says, therefore, Pilate entered the praetorium again and summoned Jesus and said to him, you, you are the king of the Jews? As if he looked at Jesus and was like, like this this is the one that's causing all of this ruckus around here, like, I mean, you, you are the king of the Jews? I mean, even at when Jesus' birth, I mean, the king of the Jews at this time, Herod, was, was adamant at, at eliminating Jesus at, at the time in which he was born, because he was convinced that there was a great possibility that a king was, was born. A king was born. And even though people weren't all that attracted to Jesus, it didn't mean that people didn't, weren't attracted to see him and to worship him. As a matter of fact, God attracted people to him at the day that he was born. There was shepherds that showed up who were just minding their own business, tending to their sheep uh, at night. And angels show up out of the sky and proclaim to them, good news, great joy for all people, a Savior is born you should go see him and visitors show up shepherds show up in in bethlehem wise men show up i mean it wasn't just lowly shepherds but wise men showed up i mean they they see a star because they're astrologer you know, astronomers and they see a star and they think there's some sort of king that's born and we we need to go and find out who this king is and we need to you know bring him gifts and that's exactly what they did they brought him gifts gold and uh, incense and myrrh like and this was treasures for a king and so even people weren't necessarily attracted by jesus they were attracted to jesus and here he is standing before pilate and pilate is just as shocked as anybody else you're you're the king of the jews Jesus responds to him in this way. Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own? Or did others tell you about me? this is a great question. (laughs) Are you saying, are you declaring me to be king? Is that under your own initiative? Are you saying to me that you're willing to bow your knee and to say that I am your king of your heart? Or are you just kind of going off of what other people say that I am? And what is that? And so Pilate answered in verse 35, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest handed you over to me. What have you done? Like, this guy's like, I ain't worshiping you. You're not my king. I'm not even a Jew. You're not of my nation. But what have you done? Like, what, what about you, you know, like in other words, you're not like an attractive guy. There's not like a real strong appeal of you, but something that you've done that has created so much attention. I mean, you're, you're not attractive, but people have just been attracted to you. What is that? I mean, I've heard, you're, I've heard you've done great things. I've, done, I've heard you've met needs. I've heard you've performed miracles and signs and wonders. I've heard you turn water into wine. and I've even heard that you've walked on water. I've heard that you fed 10, 20,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. And there's nothing about you that's appealing when I look at you, but for some reason or another, Pilate is saying, You've caused a stir here. When I wouldn't assume that somebody like you could have done done under your own power. And Jesus responds to him in this way Jesus answered, My kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. Jesus is like, let's make no mistake here. Like, If, if this wasn't something that I was willfully willing to do, and, I, and my kingdom was just about this world and this world only or this nation or this race, man, my servants would step in and you would have no power over them at all. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate, I've I've come for something bigger than just this world. And maybe, Pilate, you should be clued into that. That people, even though I don't look the part, that people have been drawn into me because I'm not here for anything of this world. I'm just here for something outside of this world world and to make that accessible to everybody some pilot doesn't know really how to respond I'm sure he says therefore Pilate said to him so so you are a king (laughs) and Jesus answered you say correctly you say correctly that I am a king for this purpose I have been born did you see it for this purpose, I have been born. Oh, there's been lots of kings. <laughs> there's been lots of kings. Oh, there's Caesar Augustus, who called the census. He was considered a king. Oh, there's Tiberius Caesar, who was, was the king at the time when Jesus was having this. There was Governor Pontius Pilate. There was King Herod the Great. There's been lots of kings, lots of kings. Jesus said, I I have come for this purpose. I've come to let people know that there's a king of kings. There's a king of kings. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of of, of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate responds and says this. What is truth? What is truth? And Jesus could have answered it this way, he didn't. Jesus could have said, well, I'm, I'm the way. And, and I'm the truth. And I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father unless it's through me. And the amazing thing is, even in the story of the Bible and even within the story of the Gospels and even within the story of Jesus, there were some great kings. You had Caesar Augustus, you had King Herod, you had Tiberius Caesar, you had Herod Antipas, you had Pontius Pilate. You had great kings who did great things. These The history has taught about these emperors and these kings, these rulers, and they've, history has said that these were great men who did great things for their people. But they're just footnotes in the story of the King of Kings, King Jesus. And the King of Kings, King Jesus, said this, that king jesus leverages his power for who for who for the powerless for the least for the weak for the unrighteous for the sinners you see this this is why there was such a stir this is why yeah he didn't look like a king but people were attracted to him why because he who was a king who leveraged his power and leveraged his authority for the least of these for the powerless, for the least, for the weak, for the unrighteous, for the sinners. I mean, he was a guy who sat and ate and had breakfast and lunch and, 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 and a conversation with sinners. He was their king. And that's why Jesus said, that's why I was born. Because I was born to be a king for a world that needs to know and have hope and and needs to put their faith and their trust in the king of kings. And for you and for me, this is where we fall. And King Jesus leveraged his authority and leveraged his power for us. Us And he was born to die, but death couldn't hold him, and he conquered the grave, and he rose again. And Paul says it this way in Colossians 1.13. For he rescued us. He rescued us from the domain. What does domain mean? Domain means kingdom. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. He brought us out of this kingdom of darkness, those that put their faith in King Jesus, those who bow a knee to King Jesus, those who make Jesus the king of their hearts. He rescued us out of this kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of deception, the kingdom of hurt, the kingdom of pain, the kingdom of manipulation, the the kingdom of betrayal the kingdom of loss, he says, I have I've rescued you out of this kingdom and I have transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's why he came. And he came to be your king and to be my king. In a world that vies for the throne of our hearts, He is the only one that should occupy that throne. And God, in His grace, in His love, in His kindness, in His mercy, is attracting you to Him. For that reason, for that reason, because he doesn't want you to live in this kingdom of darkness any longer. He wants you to be transferred out into the kingdom of his beloved son, King Jesus, who will reign on the throne of David forever, forever. So before it's too late, because King Jesus is coming again, and it's going to be too late for you and me, bow the knee to King Jesus today. Today. Because according to the Scripture, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ. What does Christ mean? Christ means the anointed one. Christ means king. King. Jesus Christ, Jesus king is Lord. So the practical thing that Jesus gave to all of us is simply this. Here's what it is. The easiest I know it's so simply said, but yet I understand, difficult to do. Jesus said this early on in his ministry. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. <laughs> not your kingdom. <laughs> not my kingdom. Our kingdom's Come on, let's be honest. In the eyes of God, they're, they're so cute. You know, they're, all oh, look at that little kingdom, like our home, you know, our careers, our relationship. Oh, look at, like, like God's going, come on, come on. Come on, Th- those kingdoms are great. Those things are important. And all those things matter. Your career, your family, your home, your job, all that stuff, all that stuff matters. But don't make that kingdom your priority first. You seek His kingdom first. You seek His righteousness. What does that mean? That just means be godly. Make the right decisions. Honor God in your life. Know what God expects and follow those. Why? Not because because God's trying to keep you to a bunch of rules and regulations. No, because God wants you to have a life that's full and abundant. Because the king is a Father who loves you. He has only the best in mind for you. He wants you to live a holy and righteous life so that you can find purpose and fulfillment, not only for you, but for the people around you. Because we're living for something more than just this life. That's what Jesus was saying to Pilate. A kingdom's not of this world. The kingdoms of this world are they're gonna be footnotes, just like Caesar Augustus, and just like King Herod the Great, and just like Tiberius and just like Pontius Pilate. These were historically great kings and governors and emperors, but they're now footnotes compared. Don't be, don't think that your kingdom should exceed his kingdom. It's his kingdom first. It's his righteousness first. And you know what happened? And all these things will be provided for you. You know what that means? That means what's in his kingdom is yours. It's yours. You see, you're an heir of God and a joint heir. With Jesus, what is Jesus's in the kingdom? It's yours when you seek first His kingdom. You want to make best decisions, wise decisions. You want to get, live a, a life that is honoring to God that that people when people see you 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 resemble Jesus, you look like Jesus, you shine. A light, because that's what Jesus said that we should be. We should be the light of the world and the salts of the earth. And seek first his righteousness. When you do that, you'll be a light. You'll be a salt. And that will be provided for you. A guy by the name of, we got a picture of him. William Chatterton Dix. William Chatterton Dix. He was got sick, and he was sort of on the edge of, of his life, and he wasn't sure if he was going to make it through. And during that time of his uh, illness and, and, and near-death experience, he wrote some poems. And one of the poems that he wrote was a poem called The Manger Throne. The Manger Throne. It goes like this. And it was later made into a Christmas song. It says, it goes like this. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come peasant king to own him. Well, who is this ke- peasant king? He says, he's the king of kings. Salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. It goes on to say, raise, raise the song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born. The babe, the son of Mary. And then he asks a great question. The question, what child is this? And he answers it for us. And we've sung it before. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. So haste, haste to bring him laud or praise the babe, the son of Mary. That's who he is. Let him enthrone your heart. Let him enthrone your heart. Because he came as a king. And people weren't attracted to him. But God attracted people to move towards him. And if he's doing that to you today, and which I believe he is, bend that knee to the king of kings. Father, thanks so much for sending your son to be king of our hearts I just pray, Lord, that we're not trying to be like Pilate even though we would never say these things or King Herod or Caesar Augustus or any other king that tries to take and make themselves be first in their life and build up their little kingdoms. I just pray that that's not who we are. That we recognize who our true king is. A king that you said thousands of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that he was going to be a king. He was going to be a king. And his kingdom was not of this realm. His kingdom was not of this world. He was doing something bigger than that, bigger than that. And one day he's going to come back again. God, and we're so excited for that day. That He establishes not only his kingdom in heaven but his kingdom on earth. So until that day comes, we just want to seek first God, your kingdom and your righteousness. And when we do that, all these things will be provided to us. Lord, we want our prayer and our desires to make you the Lord, the king of our hearts, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully you had a great and merry Christmas. And we're looking forward to seeing you back in person on January 2nd. Happy New Year. And we'll see you in 2022. God bless.